0: Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail.
1: Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling. Coming up on this week's episode, the first episode of 2023, we'll be joined by Katie Gilsonen, Senior Trends Manager at GWI. She will discuss their data as it pertains to the 2023 U.S. consumer as we continue our look ahead at what 2023 might look like in retail. So this week, we'll look through the lens of the consumer, what consumers might be looking for in 2023, and how, of course, all those macroeconomic impacts might affect this year's consumer. In news, we've got another look ahead to 2023, only different this time. We'll look ahead at CBRE's forecasts as far as retail is concerned and retail real estate. And we'll look ahead at what Amazon might be doing with some of their stalled store openings with Amazon Fresh and some so-called zombie stores that are now popping up throughout the United States. Quick reminder, if you're new to us for the new year, you can check us out on social media at Retail Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Now, this last week is traditionally a pretty slow retail news week. Not a lot of retail news other than holiday sales information coming out in the time between Christmas and New Year's, but we take this opportunity to look at CBRE's 2023 Retail Real Estate Outlook. Each year CBRE's research team publishes their outlook for all forms of real estate, but here we're just going to focus on their retail outlook and how the real estate landscape might affect retailers, particularly retailers that are seeking to expand or maybe change their brick and mortar footprint. Many of the themes that CBRE addressed in their outlook, they're continuations of trends that developed during 2022 and that you might have heard us talk about on the show during 2022. Some of the main themes include lack of available inventory, lower levels of new construction, and a continued tightening of space available in A-class retail areas. So let's dig into the main themes. First, the whole forecast for CBRE centers around the concept of brick and mortar sales continuing to increase during the course of 2023, although The forecast for overall retail sales per square foot has backed off just a little bit. Sales are still expected to increase as a whole in the brick and mortar sense against all kinds of headwinds, including labor shortages for retailers, rising interest rates in terms of macroeconomic factors, and of course, that ever-present inflation, even though many seem to think that inflation might be backing off a little bit in 2023 compared to What we saw in 2022. Now part of the sales increase. Anticipated for 2023. Could be attributed to raw dollar sales. Going up due to inflation. If a product costs 5% more than it did last year. And you are moving the same amount. Or roughly the same amount of units. Then of course your sales will go up. As a dollar figure. And as far as CBRE is concerned. This is an overall positive for retailers. As they will experience some leveraging of rent costs. Because the rent costs are. Somewhat fixed. Most retailers who are in longer term contracts, retailers such as grocers, dollar stores, and so forth, might be seeing relatively flat rental rates. Some leases only have increases every three to five years. Usually these increases are typically about 5%. Meanwhile, other leases might be long term leases. They might have 1% to 3% increases yearly. In either case, though, whether it's a 5% increase, every five years or a one to 3% annual increase, these increases are going to lag inflation. And so if brick and mortar retail sales increase in lockstep with inflation or really anywhere close to inflation, retailers would potentially see occupancy costs as a percentage of sales decrease. Now, of course, for retailers growing their brick and mortar footprint, such as Dollar General or Five Below, newer leases will mean higher rental rates And then that likelihood of rents being tied to sales as well. And that's something that's a little bit newer. It's Not necessarily the newest idea out there, but you're seeing it in a larger proportion of retail leases. This is something we heard about from several people at ICSC in 2022 as a trend to watch if inflation continues. One other thing that I'll note here for those retailers that might be seeing sales increase in lockstep with inflation... It's only going to be a positive, you're only going to be able to leverage that as far as your brick and mortar cost of sales are concerned if you've got those longer term leases in place. There are some retailers out there, just to use a couple of examples, Bed Bath & Beyond has said that they were trying to kind of compress their lease terms a little bit as a result of what was three to four years ago them really having some leverage over landlords. The same thing is true of Maurice's. Maurice's is a chain that, again, tried to shorten up those lease lengths. Well, now in this inflationary context, that might be coming back to bite those particular retailers. And in terms of a retailer like Bed Bath & Beyond, they really no longer have the upper hand against the landlords there because demand for retail spaces, especially those retail spaces similar to what Bed Bath & Beyond might be occupying, demand is high because of reasons we'll talk about here in just a second. Now, another main concept for CBRE, they expect availability rates for neighborhood, community, and strip centers to fall below 7% during 2023. Q4 availability for last year hovered just over 7%, but a drop to about 6.9% is expected in the first quarter of 2023. Availability rates in these centers should moderate in the final three quarters of the year, according to CBRE's model baseline although when you look at CBRE's model a severe downside scenario could see availability rates pop back above 7% in the later half of 2023. Now this is likely a scenario tied into a significant recession in the United States. Their baseline sees availability rates stay below 7% for these type of centers throughout the entire year. And once again the lack of retail real estate inventory That's expected to continue in 2023 regardless of class. We've talked about the record low numbers of new real estate in the retail sector. Retail deliveries are expected to continue that decline in 2023. So just not a lot of new construction going on out there. And one other thing noted by CBRE is that actually 10 million square feet of retail real estate have been removed from the market in the past five years. And that's a trend expected to continue in earnest this year, whether it be as a course of redevelopments or just retail real estate more or less being bulldozed to make room for other things. And the result here is an expected 102.8 retail square feet per capita in 2023 that's forecast. If that comes to fruition, that would be the lowest mark in the U.S. since 2017 and the lack of supply is expected to result in the suppression of expansions by certain retailers, at least according to CBRE's forecast. It's been an open industry question of late. Will retailers begin to look towards some of those B and C-class areas, or will they hold out for A-class real estate? Will they wait until that perfect opening pops up? And CBRE seems to expect the latter characterized by retailers essentially just waiting for good space to open up, and this could potentially hinder some of the expansion plans for retailers that are doing fairly well and want to expand further as far as brick and mortar is concerned. All of this harkens back to a conversation with Jasmine Johnson of ICSC we had on the show a few months ago. It'll be interesting to see if retailers begin to see value in diverse and lower income neighborhoods, Perhaps there may be pressure from higher lease rates and then the resulting diminishing returns in high-income neighborhoods that cause retailers maybe to take a second look at things. And then also you might see the reverse become true because we've talked about, especially as far as dollar stores or value-based retailers are concerned, you're seeing a wider scope of customers, including higher-income customers, shop at those stores. So, Could be a little bit of both. Those retailers that typically look towards those C class neighborhoods might be looking to upgrade a little bit. And you might see some retailers maybe take a look at those B and C class retail neighborhoods as well. Now, again, CBRE expects retailers just to sit on their hands until something comes through as far as A class real estate. But one positive for retailers, at least in this case, is that the redevelopment trend is expected to continue. As costs of redevelopment remain much, much lower versus the high costs of new construction in the current climate, so it's more likely that you're going to see more current or existing retail real estate simply be renovated and redeveloped for the purpose of retailers that are seeking to move into prime real estate opportunities. One of the other trends CBRE noted has to do with a retail headwind, specifically Challenges in finding enough staff for stores, and this doesn't affect necessarily retailers' real estate footprint or their brick-and-mortar footprint, but it might affect what's going on within their brick-and-mortar stores. And so CBRE expects technology to play a much greater role in the brick-and-mortar setting over the next few years. Some of the numbers they noted that play into their expectation of maybe low staffing levels in the first two quarters of 2023 include a McKinsey survey that took place in 2022 that indicated that 49% of retail workers are considering leaving their jobs in the next three to six months. Additionally, you look at retail wage growth. That continues to be very real. The latest numbers from the U.S. government in 2022 indicated a 4.6% year-over-year bump. That was on top of a 4.9% increase in retail wages in 2021 and a 6% increase in 2020. So you're looking at a three-year stack that puts retail wages up around 15%. Retail wage growth has well outpaced overall wage growth in this span. And you combine that with a shortage of available associates or what some would call a shortage of associates that retailers want to hire. This has all resulted in a turn towards technology. And especially over the last five years, we've seen self-checkouts, as an example, be leveraged in some non-traditional retailers, self-checkouts have been around for a very long time in terms of general merchandise, in terms of grocery stores, but you look at some retailers that didn't typically look towards this technology. Five Below is one such example, Dollar General is another that's really gone through in installing some of these self-checkouts in their stores to help ease their front-end staffing. But CBRE is actually looking ahead, not to the front-end, but some of the store sales floor uses of robotics especially as far as certain store functions are concerned like taking inventory like cleaning and one reason for this is the increased emergence of robotics as a service just as software as a service really grew in the last decade in retail and it's now a typical expense for retailers we talk to folks from software as a service firms all the time about various different aspects retailers leverage these services Leasing robotics services now has driven down the initial investment cost for retailers. So you're not looking at a massive upfront cost to actually physically buy these robots, but rather you're looking at a rental cost, at a service cost. And as such, some robots now can actually be had for a lower cost than an average retail employee. But retailers have to look at this and kind of balance the need to control labor costs with the need to create an in-store experience. CBRE's own numbers note that customers are increasingly seeking a valuable in-store experience, but past data, including internal data from large retail chains, really suggests that customers don't see robots as a way to build this experience. So CBRE expecting some of that technology to be used more often on the sales floor, but for retailers, it's all about finding that appropriate balance. And we've talked to folks that either use various forms of technology or use robotics within retail stores, and they say, look, it's not about replacing a retail employee per se. It's about letting the retail employees be more service-oriented and really build that in-store experience. So CBRE kind of looking ahead to all of this to see exactly how retailers plan on using the technology in the coming year. A couple of other trends, three other trends that we'll close out on. For one, CBRE sees click and collect expanding despite some pullback and curbside that's been noted by certain retailers. They expect click and collect sales to rise to $120 billion in 2023, which would be an 11% share of overall e-commerce sales. This, of course, in turn, will continue to affect physical in-store layouts and those store systems. As we noted on the last episode of the show, shopping center operators and retailers, it's going to be a constant evaluation of even the use of certain parking spaces for curbside. Optimal levels of curbside pickup parking appear to be very fluid. In fact, the Home Depot nearest me reduced their curbside spaces by half recently. But you're looking at that and you see some changes maybe in those curbside parking spaces, but you see expansion in in in-store pickup lockers. You see expansion in some of the physical services to those that are buying online, picking up in-store. And overall, something certainly to watch for the year ahead as far as CBRE is concerned. Two other brief trends noted by CBRE, the continued rise of grocery stores and therefore grocery anchored centers, and increased activity in tertiary markets by retailers. In my own recent travels, I noted some increased bullishness surrounding retail development in these tertiary markets, with commercial real estate brokers telling me that You know, population dynamics in terms of income, in terms of demographics are similar to the secondary markets, but the cost of occupancy for retailers in these tertiary markets, that's drastically lower. So retailers are kind of revisiting those places and maybe not choosing them over secondary markets, but perhaps choosing a first store in a tertiary market versus a second or third store in a secondary market, so to speak. And this is something certain retailers have been focused on for a while now. I mentioned five below earlier with the self-checkouts. They've been a store that has been increasingly looking at some of these tertiary markets. Ollie's Bargain Outlet has done the same over the last five years. And even home improvement retailers such as Menards, especially in the northern U.S., they've been aggressive in setting up tertiary market stores or even smaller market stores, in part due to cost benefits and in part because Land is a little bit cheaper, Menards tends to own a lot of their own land on which they have stores, so it seems to just make sense for everyone involved. So that's a look at various different things that CBRE expects for the 2023 year. Now coming up after this break, we'll be joined by Katie Gilsonen, Senior Trends Manager at GWI. She'll look forward at some things that GWI is keeping an eye on regarding the 2023 consumer So talk about where this data comes from. And in fact, it's pulling from an enormous worldwide sample size. So excited to kind of flesh out some of these trends and excited to talk about what a potential recessionary consumer might be seeing in 2023 as well. Around this time of year, now that we've taken a look back at the previous year, we enjoy taking a look ahead at the consumer landscape in 2023. We started this process before the holidays, and now that we turned the calendar, we wanted to continue this process by way of data from GWI. GWI pulls from a massive U.S. data set to generate findings and reports regarding commerce. And we're pleased to be joined by Katie Gilsonen, Senior Trends Manager at GWI to discuss their data As it pertains to what the 2023 u.s consumer might look like katie welcome to the show
0: thank you trent it's a pleasure
1: first i was wondering if you could fill in our audience on what gwi does on the day-to-day just so we get some perspective as far as where some of these numbers come from and what gwi does
0: absolutely yeah so gwi is an audience insights technology company and we work with some of the world's biggest brands, media organizations and agencies, enabling them to get a deep understanding of their audiences. So our data spans a range of topics from attitudes, social media behaviors, marketing and touch points, retail behaviors, travel, and much, much more. And our company's flagship survey represents 2.7 billion people globally, and we've got data across 50 markets around the world. So really giving brands and any brand the ability to get a 360 degree view, a worldwide view
1: of consumers. So we're talking about just an enormous data set here. And so let's dive right in. Let's focus on there's a recent report that came out from GWI called Connecting the Dots. Let's talk about this report first. What were some of the top line findings about what we can maybe expect from the U.S. consumer in 2023?
0: Absolutely. So this is our annual trends report. It's our biggest report of the year. And really the purpose of it is to you know uncover and then dive into the must-know trends that every brand and advertiser and business should know about for the year ahead. So some of the top line findings that come to mind is around crisis fatigue and how the level of crises that consumers have faced over the past three years are causing them to reprioritize what they focus on and what's important to them. We're also seeing consumers globally, but in the U.S. as well, continue to spend and treat themselves. There's a lot of talk around the cost of living right now and how that's going to impact brands and spending in 2023. So we look at that and look at where kind of those categories that consumers might spend in for the year ahead. And other areas as well as you know shifting priorities for consumers in America we've seen generally attitudes shift from more of a focus on like YOLO mentality that we saw coming out of the pandemic to more of a focus on modest ambitions craving stability and things that maybe were important before aren't as important now so that's all the kind of things that we discuss in that report
1: So you touch on a few things there, but I wanted to dive a little bit deeper in terms of maybe reprioritizing things or revisiting priorities coming out of the pandemic. Based on the data and based on what we're seeing from consumers in general, how has this reprioritization maybe affected shopping habits or consumption habits?
0: I think it's a great question. I think when it comes to shifting consumer spending, it's really important to think about kind of the context of the past three years. And I think during all these times of uncertainty and hardships, I think consumers' attitudes for treats doesn't really go away. So while we may see consumers pare back on certain areas like groceries, maybe trading down they will still be making space for you know the must-have treats in their lives and it's really about focusing on what matters to them at that time and I think for consumers treating themselves is something that we've seen happen in previous recessions where if we like look back at the 2001 recession we saw sales of lipstick increase what became known as the lipstick effect Essentially, it was an affordable pick me up during really hard times. And we're seeing that kind of emotional connection come through again when we look at where consumers' treats span will be shifting in the year ahead. So we're seeing things like travel make a big comeback. Specifically, if we look at the data, we can see that purchases of vacations and travel tickets outside China is up 19% since the middle of last year. And this actually continues to grow in our latest research wave. So there's various categories that consumers are starting to prioritize. And I think it's definitely tied back to how much consumers missed out during the pandemic where you, know, you couldn't travel anymore or you couldn't go to concerts. So those are the two kind of big major purchase categories that we're seeing upticks in and continuing to see upticks in, even when we look at like planned purchases. And then on a more like smaller level, when it comes to affordable luxuries, we see kind of a comeback of cosmetics and makeup and beauty being a thing that consumers will turn to more, again, more of an affordable pick me up. Again, something that becomes more important when you're faced with crises on an ongoing basis. And I think it's the small things that count a lot of the time. There's a lot of like lessons that we can take from past recessions where we've seen brands like Hermes Victoria's Secret remain resilient during hard times, which really shows the level of demand that people have for pick me ups, treats. And this is definitely something that brands can leverage. There's definitely an emotional connection to a lot of these categories.
1: I think it's a great point that consumers might be looking towards the smaller pick me ups. But I know one of the other things that your research found, maybe one of the more notable things since we've seen since the end of the pandemic, or since getting out of the pandemic a little bit at least, is this fashion trend maybe away from the designer brands, the more expensive brands, and increasingly towards secondhand brands. I was wondering what some of the findings were on this front, both as far as customers maybe moving away from high-end fashion, looking at the smaller pick-me-ups instead of the larger pick-me-ups, and then also this movement towards secondhand options that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really great point. I think there's definitely a changing culture around consumption. So, you know, as we discussed just there, we've got two sets of consumers. There's going to be people who are still willing to spend. And we've seen that in our research. And then there's going to be people that are going to pare back. And one of the overarching trends that we've seen among Americans is that reversal of some of the, the attitudes that we saw coming out of the pandemic, you know, that need to spend and make up for lost time. and I think while many consumers will, others will be paring back and looking to cut costs where possible. And I think one of the shifting attitudes that underpins this is the change in consumers who say they want brands to be exclusive, the growth of consumers in America who are purchasing pre-owned clothing. You know, we've seen a massive shift in that in the summertime over in this year, you know, with Love Island, which is a big reality TV show in in the UK, and I think it's also pretty big in the US. The US have their own version, but they were wearing pre-owned clothing and it's something that we're seeing grow quite significantly among young consumers, specifically Gen Z. So there's definitely that feeling of consumers sort of scaling back their expectations and becoming a bit less flashy, the downward trend of wanting brands to be exclusive definitely filters into this a lot. They've definitely shifted away from being very aspirational, I would say, to being more practical. And we can definitely see that maybe high-end brands won't necessarily be able to rely on their logo as much anymore. So it will be really kind of harking back to the basics like reliability and good value in whatever form that might look like, because it will very much vary by consumer. But we'll see kind of thriftiness continue to be in vogue as consumers become more comfortable with pre-owned clothing and pre-owned products. And just generally a shift in consumers' expectations from brands when it comes to what they want them to provide.
1: You hit on it certainly there in talking about how customers may be becoming increasingly conscious regarding price. And price has kind of been reestablished as king, so to speak, when it comes to purchase decisions. But your recent reports dug into other purchase drivers that are growing as well. It, just as an example, millennials are increasingly finding importance in things like same day delivery for example that might be a trigger to purchase what are some purchase drivers that are on the rise across different demographic groups or maybe things other than price that people are starting to focus on now
0: yeah i think it's a really good point and it's so easy to focus on price during a cost of living crisis right because everybody will in some shape or form want good value and the best price the best value for their money but obviously as brands deal with rising costs inevitably their own costs are going to rise off the back of that we're seeing brand trust become more important so in our research we found that trust for the brand ranked third out of a list of 14 purchase drivers so this came ahead of things like discounts good customer service more purpose-driven factors like you know supporting social causes so it really i guess illustrated to us how important trust is and building trust during these times and again if we look back at previous recessions i've come across various research that shows during recessions the trust gap can widen so now is really the time for brands to focus on building trust whether that's been really upfront and transparent about price increases and not sort of shying away from you know being honest about how it's impacting their business one of the local restaurants that my husband and I always go to recently sent out an email around kind of rising costs and explaining really honestly and really transparently why they've had to rise their prices. And it's that level of openness and honesty that's just really refreshing for me personally as a consumer. And it's something that we're seeing brands sort of do more of. And I think it's definitely something that is often underestimated, but is a very powerful tool in driving purchases and ensuring kind of loyalty during times when it's quite fragile.
1: I want to dive a little bit deeper on this because I feel like if you were to ask most retailers, they'd say, well, yes, we're a trustworthy retailer and our customers think we're trustworthy. But in reality, building trust can be somewhat difficult, at least in the retail sector. What are some ways maybe outside of being upfront, being transparent that retailers or any establishment can go about building trust with this new consumer?
0: Yeah, I think for some of the purchase drivers that we've seen, a lot of it comes back to nailing the basics. So specifically for older consumers, we're seeing, you know, a big shift on wanting good customer service, which is not I think is often underestimated in the age of technology and other things kind of taking place. But it's something that is consistently very important to them and actually is one of the top trending online purchase drivers that we've seen in our data. For young consumers, it's really, you know, the ability to, when it comes to understanding what a brand stands for, they're very much still driven by the social side and, you know, understanding what a brand's purpose is, which can obviously be quite difficult to pin down. But seeing that a brand is very, I guess, open and transparent when it comes to what they do for social causes and the environment is something that still ranks quite highly in the grand scheme of things for those generations as well.
1: One of the other maybe paths to purchase or keys to purchase and something that we've seen a lot in the news lately, this being the holiday season is returns and specifically the issue behind making returns easier for customers versus some retailers even charging for returns. I'm curious what consumer sentiment is right now just regarding the return landscape, knowing that we might see quite a few of those in quarter one.
0: Yeah, I mean, we did actually dig into research on this recently and we found that generally consumers are pretty receptive to brands charging for returns, which was quite surprising to me. I think it very much does depend on the brand itself, but it's something that I think consumers are expecting more from brands in terms of returns. I think it's something that they definitely look for but it's not when it came to kind of if it would be a factor from if they were starting to charge for returns if it would turn them off from buying from the brand it wasn't as high as what we were expecting to see
1: moving on you mentioned all of this research that gwi has done you've done research regarding consumer trends you've done research regarding returns as you talked about but gwi also published a bit of a look ahead at potential retail trends otherwise for 2023 and i'm curious We've talked about certain categories, for example, maybe secondhand fashion, seeing a bump during 2023. What are some other retail categories that maybe might see heightened or renewed interest other than the small pick-me-ups, other than the secondhand clothing during 2023?
0: Yeah, so definitely around some of the experiences that I think consumers missed out on. I think as a first starting point here, you know, it's important to consider that while many consumers will be cutting back, many others will be continuing to spend. So in our data, we found that 25% of US consumers said they're spending more compared to two years ago, while 38% said they're spending the same. So some are spending more and many have stayed consistent. And I think a lot of the noise out there in the media right now is around cutbacks and rightly so. But I think there's less, definitely less of a focus on consumers who are willing to still spend and then obviously once we kind of know who these consumers are, we can then dive into kind of what the trending categories are. So aside from the small pick-me-ups, like I've mentioned, like cosmetics and clothing, which have been pretty high on consumers treat lists. Like when we asked consumers if they were on a budget, which of the categories they prioritized, those kind of smaller areas were pretty consistent across all age groups and generations. But something that we've seen trending over time is definitely travel. So using our new GWI travel data set, we can see that around two thirds of consumers say they intend to take a vacation abroad in the next year. So there's definitely demand. This is in the US. There's definitely demand for consumers to make up for lost time. I think there's definitely the wellness benefits of travel that's really important to kind of double down on when it comes to reaching and connecting with these consumers. And then the other area is kind of the more experience based ones that we've seen tick upwards is around concert tickets. And that's something that has been trending upwards. Plan purchases for concert tickets has gone up, but so is kind of the forward thinking when it comes to looking ahead. So there's been a 14% uptick since last year in those saying they plan to purchase concert tickets as well. So there's definitely some of those bigger, more out of home splurges that we're seeing come back to surface since we've kind of come out of the pandemic and we've returned to some kind of normality so i think travel and concert tickets and kind of music events is definitely something that we'll see more of in 2023 as consumers look to make up for lost time not be cooped up and kind of get back out there
1: i'm curious too because something that we've heard a lot about pretty much over the last six seven years is shopping via social media that's something that a lot of folks have talked about It's been the next big thing now for quite a while. But as we enter 2023, it's still a fairly small portion of most retail revenues. Is 2023 going to be the year maybe in which social media selling captures a bit more market share, according to your data?
0: I think it's difficult to say for sure when it comes to buying. But I think we've definitely seen a noticeable shift in how people use the Internet. And that includes social media. So we've seen trends of consumers using the internet to find more inspiration rather than for information. So there's a shift in people wanting to be inspired rather than informed. And this is really where social media kind of comes into play and it's playing a massive role in consumers purchase journey from brand discovery all the way to product research. For example, globally, Gen Z are more likely to say they use social media than search engines when it comes to product research. And I think this really shows the significance of social's role here. And I think when we think about apps like TikTok and Be Real, but if we think about TikTok, that's something that they really nail when it comes to Gen Z, for example, wanting to go on an adventure, when it comes to finding products that maybe they didn't even know they needed. And that's something that I think definitely young consumers find very relatable. We're seeing that TikTok is the fastest growing app among older consumers as well. So it's not something that's just for young people. And I think that's a really important kind of point to get across. But we're definitely seeing a huge shift in how people use social media, what they use it for. And I think in turn, we're going to see brands really kind of double down their efforts in that space.
1: And then another area of retail that sometimes can be overlooked a little bit is the discount sector. We've seen retailers like Dollar General and Family Dollar tick up in terms of traffic currently. And obviously, we've got a bunch of price conscious consumers out there that are helping to fuel this. But will the 2023 consumer kind of continue to flock towards maybe some of these less chic retailers, the retailers that don't garner as much headlines and how do retailers such as the discounters continue to see growth among all customer groups not just the low-income customer groups
0: i mean it's a great point and my short answer would be yes i definitely think there's going to be strong demand for discount retailers if we look at our research in our connecting the dots annual report in one of the trends we looked at spending and we also looked at kind of trending retailers and the fastest growing retailers are more of a discount retailers so tj max for example, was one. Marshall's was another. There's quite a few that have been on the kind of discount side or more of a kind of luxury for less kind of retailers that are trending upwards. And I think given the current climate, there's definitely going to be strong demand for kind of luxury for less, still being able to get good quality items, but maybe at better value and I guess, yeah, for brands, when it comes to what matters to consumers, obviously doubling down on quality and making sure that that's kind of incorporated into messaging because consumers want their money to last. They want to make sure that what they're spending on is good. It's durable and it's kind of like focusing on the practical sides that I think consumers will want to see. And I think it's something that can sometimes be overlooked, but it's really important to make sure that that's really communicated in messaging to ensure that consumers are getting the best value and making the right decision during times when maybe they're gonna question whether it's worth it.
1: We'll close out on this from your perspective as someone that gets to look at an awful lot of this data and an awful lot of the trends that GWI discovers through this data. What trend in particular are you most excited to see play out over the next year?
0: I think, I mean, most excited probably maybe isn't the right term for this one, but I think the the whole theme of crisis fatigue is really interesting to me. I think because if you take into account all of the crises that consumers have faced between a global pandemic, a cost of living crisis, abortion rights in the US, this is just naming a few, we're definitely seeing a sense of crisis fatigue where it's obviously something that's well observed in the past, where if people are exposed to too many stressors, they start to switch off. And a good stat from our research found that almost every market, across every market we track, interest in news, politics, social issues, and current affairs has declined since 2020. So I think it definitely shows how like newsy we become over the past three years. And I think a lot of that from brands in many cases can be just noise. And I think for them it's really important to consider the mental bandwidth that consumers have right now. And I think And for many people, it's quite low um, due to all the kind of stressors and crises that we've faced over the past three years. And I think that really comes down to understanding what matters to consumers for media outlets, maybe switching like the narrative to solutions rather than problems. Maybe when it comes to talking about climate change or the climate crisis for brands, it's, I guess, important to dial back noise around climate change unless you can clearly show the impact that you're making so that you make sure it's not noise and it's not overwhelming for consumers. And I think it's just really important to understand the mindset of consumers, understand that crisis fatigue is real and be really mindful of that. And then, yeah, it comes down to prioritization. We'll we'll see more of that as people become more concerned with what directly impacts them. There may be trade-offs when it comes to interest in certain issues, but there's a lot of responsibility on media and brands to make sure they don't add to the noise that's already there.
1: Well, one thing is for sure, it will be a very interesting next 365 days. Well, once again, Katie, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast, taking your time to discuss some of GWI's findings.
0: Thank you so much, Trent. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks
1: solely on the input of the podcast hosts. We thank Katie for joining us. And again, so great to take a look at numbers that come from such a large sample size of data. Now, as far as our own looking ahead segment, and we realize this entire episode has really been a looking ahead at 2023. But a new story that's broken over the last couple of weeks certainly has our interest peaked. Uh, originally published by... A news outlet called The Information, talking about zombie Amazon Fresh stores. There are several of these zombie stores for Amazon Fresh that were built, usually almost finished off in September and October of 2022. And now they've been left vacant without merchandise and without employees. And in some cases, as the information notes, you've got stacks of basically missed package delivery notifications at the door of these particular stores now it's funny because amazon is still announcing further amazon fresh store plans and in fact detroit was recently noted as potentially getting two stores themselves another 26 stores are coming in development now of course you have this further brick and mortar development that's coming for amazon after it closed all of its amazon bookstores and several of its pop-up locations as a result of trying to focus on these amazon fresh and amazon go locations but then you also have the kind of lack of profitability that people are starting to notice surrounding amazon and we've always said on the podcast you know most of amazon's retail presence hasn't been all that profitable it's been aws that's really been driving the profit for Amazon as a whole and really when you look at Amazon even some of the third party sales really the sales that are driving Amazon's income. So I think it's interesting to see what exactly happens with these Amazon fresh stores. You know a few news outlets have said well they'll probably just keep these stores hanging out there until they can either figure out the staffing or figure out the stocking of these particular stores. And of course, for landlords, this isn't a great thing because co-tenants no doubt don't appreciate having a basically vacant Amazon Fresh store next to them, something that's not really driving traffic to these particular centers. So we talked about things from a retail real estate perspective in the first segment. I think this story is especially one to watch. You know, we talked about Several years ago, landlords being left out to dry by Lidl, they would have development contracts in place, and then Lidl would say, No, we've just decided not to build there and not to expand to that particular location. Well, this is even more interesting because the stores have actually been built. They've physically, in many cases, been stocked with signs and fixtures and all of that. They just don't have merchandise on the shelves and they don't have any employees and they've been closed in some cases for months. So you have to wonder if some of Amazon's physical store sheen is perhaps wearing off and exactly what their plans are for not only Amazon Fresh, but also Whole Foods. Whole Foods is something where their physical retail stores have actually seen sales go up, at least according to Amazon, by about 10% year over year. But signs of some cracks in the armor, so to speak, for Amazon's physical stores coming up. And you have to think the landlord certainly Don't like the fact that these fresh stores are vacant. One other thing that I'll note, and I'm sure Amazon would have certainly noted this, but many retail leases as they pertain to development agreements often contain stipulations that stores must be open or must be operated. Something basically saying that the stores have to be open to the public. Now, not all leases do, but it would be interesting to see if some of these leases that are floating around for these Amazon fresh stores have these stipulations, and if Amazon is in fact you know, paying fines or might be in default of some of these leases if they are in fact violating those clauses. Now, again, nothing to say that there are those clauses in those lease agreements, but just something to kind of keep in mind as we look towards the Amazon Fresh Development. We'll see if they actually end up building the 26 stores they say are in development. If they do, if they ever end up opening them. Well, that'll do it for us here on the Retail Focus Podcast. Thank you to you for listening, and we'll be back next week with more retail news and notes and another interview looking ahead at what we can expect from the 2023 season in retail.
0: This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.